Hey everyone, and welcome to Don't Skip, a podcast featuring the brightest minds in advertising. I'm your host, Zach Seckler. Outside of chatting with creatives here on this podcast, I work as one. I'm a comedy director and photographer. You can check me out at zachseckler.com. On today's episode, I chat with Ryan Kutcher. Ryan is co-founder of Circus Maximus, a full-service agency that's won Ad Age Small Agency of the Year three times since its founding in 2013. They've had clients including Gillette, Roman, Shake Shack, and Smartwater. Before founding his own agency, Ryan was a creative director at Crispin Porter Bogusky, where he worked on a lot of influential work, including the Whopper Freakout campaign. Ryan also worked as Chief Creative Officer at J. Walter Thompson. In this episode, we talk a lot about starting an ad agency, why Ryan wanted his own shop, how he found his first clients, his experience pitching for business, developing a company culture, creating an in-house production arm, and so much more about the process of running a small agency. We talk about what Ryan would do differently if he were to start an agency in 2021 and about strategies for how they're continuing to grow their business in the future. There's so much more we touch on in this episode. I think you're really gonna enjoy it. Before we jump in, definitely check out circusmaximus.com to see some of the campaigns we chat through. This is Don't Skip, Ryan Kutcher. Here with Ryan Kutcher, no relation to Ashton Kutcher that we just we just verified that. Uh, Ryan, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be nervous. You got a that that cowboy hat has got to give you so much confidence. You're sitting there. You're in Texas right now in the sunshine, sitting outside with a nice black cowboy hat on. Yeah, and uh, a big happy smile on your face. Moved to Texas. Got the Texas. The whole, the whole costume, <laughs> and it's it's wearing well on me, I think. I think so. Last time I saw you was in New York a couple of years ago. And so when did you move to Texas? Yeah, we moved to Texas. So we live outside of Austin. We live on Lake Travis. And we moved here a, a little over a year ago. It was like October 1st we moved in. October 1st, 2020 was our move-in date. And we decided to move to Texas in like September. <laughs> so it happened, <laughs> happened quickly. I want to ask, I'm trying to find out other other ways to get into the painting the picture of early life and interesting, moderately interesting questions. This is the one I came up with for, the, for this episode. Yeah. Is there anything from your childhood that could have predicted your career in advertising? Well, I think, I mean, maybe, but not like, for whatever reason, advertising, A, it wasn't a career that I knew about. I didn't know about it. And then B, it's not like you go and you study advertising, you know, in college. I guess maybe some people do. You went to Syracuse, you studied psychology. Apparently there's a pretty good advertising program there. Mm-hmm. I would be really skeptical of anyone that studied advertising. You were you were gonna be you were gonna be a chef, is what that was the idea. <laughs> yeah. That right. was the idea. Yeah. I love because I love cooking. Yeah. And I love being around fire and sharp objects. And I just it's I like doing it. It was the thing about doing it. Mm-hmm. And I sort of accidentally was introduced to the world of advertising. I say accidentally because I had like, was taking a, I was, it was in college. I was an economics major and I was doing like a business minor. And cause I was like, that's probably relevant. I don't know. You know, I was in like an accounting class that I got a 47% on like for the, <laughs> for, for that, I was like, and managed to get a C because like accountants are, uh, they're really into like grading on a curve and stuff. And I was like, man, if you're able to turn a 47 into a passing grade, and this is like one of the best accounting degrees in the country, it's William and Mary. Mm-hmm. It's like, I think we're in for some trouble. And then <laughs> no shit. It was like a year later. Um, that KPMG thing happened where it was like the greatest accounting firm in history has been making things up. It was like my school was like the feeder. Oh, wow. Anyway, so it's a long-winded way of saying I wasn't really qualified to be doing that. So I dropped out of the business school, but they sent me, they still, they sent me an email about a business school class that was in advertising. I should never have received this invite because I had dropped out of the school. But I took it anyway. Mm-hmm. And then the guy that taught the class was a creative director, former creative director from, you know, the Madison Avenue kind of era. And and I was like, 
man, this guy's talking about making stories up, being creative, manipulating people, and making money. And I was like, those are four of my interests. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it, was, it was sort of through that lens that I was like uh, more excited to kind of discover advertising. And that ended up leading me to an internship at the Martin Agency in Richmond. Mm-hmm. And then that ended up leading me to ad school in Miami, Florida, which is where I discovered that Miami is an insane place. <laughs> and that and that's where you and your first job was at Crispin Porter. Yeah. And that was at the Miami office? Yeah, like 2004, early 2004. And so you were there, you were there at, at CPB in, in the real heyday, right? I mean, yeah, that was when the agency was cranking out some of its most famous work. You were involved with Whopper Freakout and and a lot of other really influential work that was kind of breaking ground at the time. What what did your years there, what did they teach you? How did they influence your your creative style and maybe your entrepreneurial style? Yeah, good question. I mean, I think it's like, it was an interesting place to be. It was like, they managed to, every assignment was really it didn't matter whether it was like an ad slick, which is like <laughs> like a little thing that goes in a newspaper, if you remember those, or it was like a TV commercial. It was very much about, you know, doing something that's kind of unexpected, capturing people's attention, being, you know, disruptively interesting. Mm-hmm. That was all stuff I love. That's all stuff that we continue to try to do. And even though it was really like, I don't want to say it was pre-internet, but it was the internet was a very different place. It was pre-YouTube. It was pre-social media. What what year? What year was this again, Ryan? Two thousand four. Two thousand four. Yeah. I think YouTube came out in two thousand five, but it wasn't the YouTube that it is now. And Facebook was around, but it, Instagram wasn't here. You know, it was like all that stuff didn't really pick up until a few years later. But um, the kinds of content that we were creating was very much geared towards like dialogue. Like we want, we are, we're creating this, we're putting it in front of people and we expect them to participate in it. And if they don't participate in it, we failed. That was kind of the vibe. And I think that that informs both our current creative approach and our entrepreneurial approach, which is like, man, the most egregious mistake you can make is by doing something that's either safe or boring or uninteresting because you're competing with so much noise now you know, with social media, with YouTube, with all the the content that people have, advertising is just such a small part of that. But it it it, it cannot be ignored. You have to make it relevant and interesting to people. And so I think those that's that's the large takeaway. You know, some mm-hmm. of the mechanics and stuff uh, of how you do it were also uh, you know kind of in, informed by that time. But that that was mm-hmm. that was the big thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you were there from 2004 to 2009. Yeah, almost almost the end of, really the very, very end of 2009. So it was almost six years. Mm-hmm. What about an entrepreneur, any entrepreneurial spirit yeah. that you developed there? Because from there, you tried to start your first agency mm-hmm. uh, right after leaving CPB. But, you know, I'm curious during that time, was there any, you know, any entrepreneurial chops that you had developed kind of just in that environment at CPB during that time? Yeah, it was it was baked in because of the way, like the philosophy of that agency was, you know, we were a small agency and an up and coming agency, but we it was not, um, clients were not coming to CPB for like big TV campaigns a la Wyden Kennedy. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, the word was guerrilla at the time. And so in a hundred page deck, 90 pages of the creative would have been like, oh, you know what you should do? You should come up with a hamburger made out of bubble gum and shit like that. So it was like, yeah. within that context, a lot of the ideas that we were presenting were actually probably could have been standalone businesses. They were, it was very much playing with the mechanics of like, it was an operations idea or it was like a, a product development idea or it was an opportunistic thing that we wanted to create. I swear, if we went back and looked at some of the decks, Many of the ideas probably could have been pulled out and and turned into independent business units, and I think that's mm-hmm. that's kind of what got the spark going in my mind. I didn't know you could be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. It's like such a popular thing; like everyone's an entrepreneur now. Mm-hmm. 
I didn't know you could just do that. Yeah. I still am like figuring out like, how, we, so you just have an idea and then you get money and then you do it. It's like, yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> just doesn't always work out. Never works out. Yeah. <laughs> it almost never works out. Yeah. But you can do it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it can be done. Well, and so you did do it after, after those almost six years at CPB, you tried starting your first agency. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about where the idea came from and what the agency, like how far you got? I don't know anything about it. I just yeah. read a little bit about it when, when, um, when researching you, but uh, it was something that surprised me. I didn't know that you tried to start an agency before Circus Maximus. It's a short story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there was like four of us. Yeah. There was some folks from an agency in Austin mm -hmm. and there was three creatives. And it's probably fair to say at this point, uh, I, I was not working at CPB anymore, but two of them were. And we were kind of moonlighting this thing to create this agency. We got invited to a pitch for Quiznos Subs. Mm -hmm. And this is 2009. And so we kind of created this coalition and we put together, you know, the pitch and, you know, sort of that was the, the thinking was like, oh, this is our foundational client. If we win this piece of business, we are, we are rolling, you know, um, and it was really no more complex than that. So we went through this pitch and we sort of thought we were going, it was going well. You guys made it to, between you and one other agency, that kind of thing, and round after round, and we're coming up with all this creative work. And then ultimately, they never awarded the pitch. It was just like a fishing. Oh. It was one of those like client fishing expeditions yeah. that everyone's been a part of at some point in their career. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh, yeah. gut punch. Like we thought for sure we're going to win this. We had office space rented. I mean, we were oh. like ready to go. So with that, during that experience, how long was that pitch? How long were you involved in that pitch? Eight weeks. Eight weeks. So during that time, I'm sure you had a lot of thoughts going through your head about, you know, big dreams for, for what your agency could be like and how you could grow it. Yeah. I mean, did you have any specific thoughts about, aside from running office space, did you have any specific thoughts about how you were going to grow beyond that first client or how you were going to go about hiring creatives or hiring a staff, creating a culture, all these things that go along with, starting a small agency, were any of those strategical thoughts kind of percolating through your head at that time? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was like, we're here. Yeah. <laughs> Just let's do you it. Let's hey. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. That was about the extent of our business plan was. Yeah. Just <laughs> cowboy hat. How's it? Cowboy hat. Yeah. Um, That's it. Yeah. We're here. So maybe it was for the best that it didn't work out. Yeah, I mean, I think the last like 10 years have been a long, slow, expensive uh, business degree, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's gotten even more, I think it's, it, it's kind of a tangent to like how, how we think brands and, 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 and businesses basically need to communicate. Agencies need to do the same. The, the spectrum of services now that are offered within our industry are so vast and so broad. You cannot do them all. Mm -hmm. You have to focus. And then you have to be very clear about telling the story of why you do one specific thing and do it really well. And then show a bunch of examples of how you've done it really well. Mm -hmm. And honestly, dude, until literally like three seconds before this call, that's what I've been thinking about. I always think about how we do the better job of that with my agency. And I don't know if we're doing a great job of it, but we're like, our work is really good. Is the story really strong? How can we refine that? Mm -hmm. So it's really about having that concise specific, almost niche mindset, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Of like, we are this thing. This is what we do. If you need this, which you do, you should come here, that kind of a thing, so that you're filtering a huge audience of people, hopefully into a smaller group of customers that are right for you, have the right budget, want the right services, have the right chemistry fit, so uh, that's all stuff that I didn't do the first time around that I'm continuing to try to do now and always trying to get better at that. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about your starting of Circus Maximus, which is your, mm -hmm. your agency that you, you founded. But before that, let me just, let me fill in the blank on one other part of your work history before. And that was, so after you had that go at, at that pitch with Quiznos, it didn't work out. And I have lost a lot of pitches since. I'm sure. I'm I just sure. want to make that clear. Yeah. <laughs> I want to hear, <laughs> I I want to hear about that. I think it's so, yeah. I think it's so interesting hearing about yeah. 
the jobs that don't work out, the pitches that don't work out. Cause I think yeah. that's where people learn things. And, um, yeah. and it's also such a big part of, it's such a big part of being a creative person in advertising yeah. is yeah. is not winning. So I want to ask you more about that as well. Uh, a lot yeah. of fun topics. But before that, let yeah. me just ask you about your. You had one year. You had a one year stint as co CCO, yeah. co Chief Creative Officer at J. Yeah. Walter Thompson. What was that one year like? Mm-hmm. That was like that was the highest title you had yeah. had had at a, at a big agency. What was that one year like? What was it like being a, a CCO at JWT? The thought process was like, kind of, there was a couple factors involved. They they had brought in, you know, a big agency, network agencies will do this every 18 months or so where they're like, we're turning the ship around. You know, we're, we're going to really reinvest in creative and we want to burnish the creative profile of this agency. And so they had, in, in that tradition, they had brought in Jeff Benjamin, who's uh, an old friend of mine, and Mike Geiger to run production. They had elevated one of their creatives internally, a guy named Matt McDonald, who's a terrific guy. And I think I think he's at BBDO and he's still crushing it. And they had kind of a new CEO, a guy who's now at uh, Butler Shine Partners. So it was like a pretty good leadership team. And they extended this offer to me that was... Honestly, I was like 32. It was a terrible idea of the, on their part. It's a terrible idea on my part too, because it was like, I'm going to take this big job so that I can say I had this big job, but I don't want this big job. What I want is what this big job might be able, like a, the validation of having this big job. Okay. Um, the validation and of, upon, for what? Uh, for your career? Oh, he was the your... chief creative officer of like global, yeah. Globocom, right. you know? Well, no. So what I was getting at with that question is, was it was it validating your creative chops or maybe validating your, you know, did you already have the idea of starting an agency down the road? And was it kind of validating your experience in a way? It was validating my experience. I think it was validating my, my resume. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, if he could do that, certainly. I don't, again, I'm not sure. <laughs> this was the thought process at the time. Yeah. I think what I, what I subsequently learned is that no one cares. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was, you know, it was instructive in a lot of ways. It was like, okay, here's how, you know, you suddenly you have to go and manage a creative department of a hundred people and you're coming in and you're, you're sort of tasked with not just creating a better creative product, which we all know is like this, the result of a lot of alchemy and stuff like that. But you've got to try to institute a new culture. There are a lot of people that are incentivized to not change. I learned a lot about how the P&Ls of the various departments interacted and worked with each other and, and didn't work with each other. So it goes back to your accounting, your accounting experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's get serious. Big holding companies are accounting companies. Their creative product is ancillary. Mm-hmm. You got 10,000 employees and every quarter you got to make a certain revenue. Right. There's two ways to do that. There's either get more business tough or, uh, well, we can fire the bottom line 10% and then we made our numbers. So it's a different game. Yeah. Um, and I learned that too. And uh, I probably wish I had learned a little bit more about accounting now running my own agency, but um, certainly learned, got got the inside scoop in, in into a lot of the way that that functions. And that was cool. But ultimately realized like, nah, this is not what I, this is not what I want to be doing. I, I, I am not invested in reimagining the advertising model to help a holding company succeed. I'm much more interested in like, I was becoming, that's, so that's 2012. Mm-hmm. And that's when D2C and like all these kind of, like the, the entrepreneurial economy, the startup economy is consumer space is like really starting to fire up. Interesting new breeds of advertising people are being born, mm-hmm. you know, like this is really like the rise of analytics and people that are, uh, performance marketers and they're like building brands and they're like, I designed it on MS Paint, but I've got, I made a $10 million company. And I was like, that's incredible. Like, that's amazing. So that's what was going on during the JWT years. And it made it about a year. Uh-huh. I made it a year. <laughs> well, that, that, it sounds like you actually learned a lot and that maybe did help you with, with starting your agency, giving you some, some perspective on some big picture stuff and some nitty gritty of, accounting and dealing with employees and I mean, managing over a hundred creatives, like that's, 
that's a big deal. Yeah, I don't know that I, I mean, I think a lot of this is that, you know, the 10 years or so that have passed that I'm able to reflect on what the experience was really all about. At the time, it was more like, what the fuck? <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. So let's, let's talk about Circus Maximus. So you guys were just awarded 2021 Small Agency of the Year Gold by Ad Age. Yeah. Really big deal. Thank you. You guys have done... And thank you to the people of Ad Age. <laughs> uh, you guys have done really a lot of really, really great work over the years. And that's how we met originally was through... Yes. Through your... Uh, well, a couple of years back, I think, two or three years ago. Yeah. Tell me about, like, first off, tell me about, like, how you even started. Like, where did you begin? Where did you start with starting Circus Maximus? It was, um, again, no business plan, really, it was like, it was still, it was like, like two years later, right? So it was still like, I'm here. <laughs> 2013, right? 2013 was the original iteration. And there was a couple like hunches that I had. And one was informed by a conversation that I'd had at JWT where we, you know, we had a client and they had a smaller brand that they were trying to launch. And I was like, that seems cool. Hey, can we get that project? And they were like, no. And I said, Interesting. I said, why not? And they were like, we just don't think of, of your, we don't think of, you're a big agency. We don't think of you as the kind of agency that could do this kind of nimble thing. It's just different. And I was like, well, that's what I want to do. So ultimately that was kind of getting in, building, building brands, creating brand narrative, doing the content. That's what I wanted to do. And at the time I partnered with a fellow by the name of Doug, Doug Cameron, who was, had, had run an agency called Amalgamated in New York. And he was a strategy guy. And he also has a very specific focus within the world of strategy, what he calls cultural strategy, which is a really cool and relevant thing. And I thought, this is a good partnership. He can convince clients that we need to do this interesting work. I can show them what that interesting work is. It's going to go great. And it didn't go bad. But what we, we sort of, I think we were just in front of the wrong audiences in some ways. So through just connections and relationships, we ended up working with Coca-Cola. And we worked, we launched Smart Water for Coca-Cola globally. Oh, wow. It was like got this ridiculous project. And then we worked on a lot of like kind of more interesting, scrappy startups. And so that's, that's kind of been, continued to be the basic mix of helping, you know, in the, in the case of Fortune 500 or Fortune 100 companies, kind of helping them incubate, nurture, and launch brands in their portfolio to emulate independent startup brands. Mm -hmm. Fast growth, interesting categories, niche brands, and a mix of like kind of fast growth, independent startups. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, just kind of through, through that, your first project was for launching Smart Water, you said, right? Yeah, it was a strategy project. Strategy, so okay. So it was like, a, we had like a two-day strategy seance with uh, <laughs> like the, the global Smart Water team in, at Coca-Cola in Atlanta. So from there, how did you get your next project? So through that, we actually formed a relationship with the UK client. I think at the time, Smartwater was with Droga 5 in the United States, but they didn't have an international agency. So we ba we basically launched it for, for Coca-Cola internationally through the UK office. Oh, okay. And rolled out that campaign in Europe and then in Asia and then in South America. So it was like this, like, what? <laughs> and then, as I mentioned, like the, the smaller brands were much more willing to kind of work with us because we had this big agency experience, but we were kind of a potent, formula that could operate at their sort of budgets. Mm -hmm. And we won an award early on for like a B2B campaign. We Somehow we got connected with a company called JustWorks, uh -huh. who are like a really fast growing startup. They'd only been around for 18 months or something like that. So that really started to hit the profile of like, oh, this is a good match for us. This We were like brand narrative, helping them craft interesting stories, brands in sort of underloved spaces mm -hmm. that could really benefit from our sort of creative approach. And we did a campaign for JustWorks. That was your, the, the, boss, work, the boss face campaign, right? That was a few years later. Oh, that was, our okay. first work. Our first work for them was really simple. Uh -huh. It was just like these zippy headlines, you know, about being an entrepreneur 
and and how hard it was. So it was like relevant to what I was doing, you know? Yeah. Like one of the head, so JustWorks does like HR and compliance and all the like detail-oriented stuff that creative people are awful at. So we did like consumer research and all the stuff and we came up with like a platform for them, which is like what you do is you help entrepreneurs work fearlessly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, a, it's true and yeah. it's great. So we had all these like headlines that was like, your business is your baby, but your baby currently has a diaper bomb of HR issues. So it was like funny lines mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And it ended up being really like one of those um, campaigns that ran on the New York City subway at this like little moment in, in the world of, you know, kind of startup world in New York City. And was like really popular. Like people were calling them like, what do you do? Yeah. And they were like, we do HR and compliance. And like, we don't need that, but we like your ads. Like, <laughs> I remember those yeah. those ads in the subways. They were all over the place. I remember like on yeah. L train, you know, taking it in, seeing those. Because it was part of the it was part of the strategy of like, how do we, you know, are their 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 target market was like businesses that had like five to 20 employees. Mm-hmm. So start real startup stuff. Yeah. And it was like we bought the train lines specifically to talk, be in front of those kinds of people as they were going to work. So the L was big. And at that time for a brief moment, you could buy a subway domination and it was like a really competitively priced buy. It was like a hundred grand. Now it's like, well, I don't know about now, but right before the pandemic, it was like $450,000 for the same thing. So it became this thing. Right. So what, so from 2013, when did you, when was this campaign that we're talking about now? What was that? 2000 what? That was 2014 or 15. And so from between then and now, what has been a campaign that has really, really changed the direction of growth at Circus Maximus? There's two that I think of. One is our campaign for Roman Mm -hmm. men's health, which is now called Roe. One of my favorites from you guys. I love that one. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think... It's it's not just like the 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 campaign, but like what what a brands need. And Roe was cool because it sort of it was like the capstone on what we wanted to do and be as an agency. So we are equity partners in Roman. Oh, so we wow. traded equity. Yeah. So we traded equity for like we sort of reduced our fee. But you know the big thing in advertising is how do you we you just can't pay me for my hours anymore. This is a bad model, right? No one wins. So how do we, we create a ton of value with a specific kind of brand. We create a ton of value by giving you a huge brand, brand narrative, a a creative platform, a strategic mindset that will then last you hopefully forever, but certainly the next 36 months. And then we build all this content in across your channels so that it's this additive thing and it feels really cohesive and clear and like moves customers down the funnel and so Roman was a great example of that. We got to come in early. It's just the founders. It's like three, three of them. Worked with them directly, built their strategic narrative, uh, helped build out their brand identity and then the content. And it was really like this concerted rollout of like, well, we're going to need some content that gets people's attention. So we built the awareness layer. And that was this video that we created that was called Thinly Veiled Metaphors. And it was a commentary. So Roe went to market. Their flagship product was medicine for erectile dysfunction. And they had a vertically integrated pharmacy. So it was like for the first time ever, you could go on the, I want to say like secrecy, but like the comfort of your own home. (laughs) You could go and talk to a doctor about this issue. Right. They would diagnose you and then they would send it to your door. Competitor was like hymns. Yeah. And so we, but we built this brand narrative around like men wanting to just uh, take ownership over their own health. So big, big platform, but ultimately it was still like, all right, well, we still need to talk about ED and like new news and stuff like that. So the campaign basically lampooned all of the sort of vague metaphors yeah. that had been used in that space. Like it's like a guy and he's like fixing his car. You know, it's like, yeah, this guy's, this guy's working his machine kind of a thing. <laughs> it's and basically, it's like, yeah, it's like a, the video, which is, which is so funny. It's a, it's the, the cut that I see on your website, Circus Maximus is, is a two minute cut. Mm-hmm. And it's basically like all these parodies of, of like 
of manhood. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a guy throwing a football and trying to get it through the, yeah, through the, through the tire swing hole. You know, thinly yeah. veiled metaphor. We, we understand the football represents going through the hole, right? Yeah. And then there's yeah. a series of other ones where, like with the two bathtubs. Which no one has ever understood. Which, like the which Cialis, is, no yeah, offense the Cialis, to Cialis, Cialis, right? Like, so basically just parodying all these like, you know, taking advantage of the built-in customer awareness around yeah. erectile dysfunction and man, manly issues, right? Yeah. And, uh, and poking fun at them. The gist of the brand was like, no, it's time for men to have an honest conversation about our health. It starts with ED because ED is an indicator of other men's health issues. Could be heart disease, could be obesity, oh, okay. could be any blood pressure, any number of things. Mm -hmm. And it was like, we were kind of calling BS on the way guys talk about their health. Yeah. It was folded in with ideas of toxic masculinity and all that stuff. So there was like a real kind of human mission at the center of that brand, even though it was kind of like a funny attention getting thing. But then sort of concurrently, we had all this social media content. There were blogs. I mean, we we really had scattershot work. And then there was TV that came on the, the heels of that. There was a huge out of home campaign. So we really had the whole thing like kind of mapped out mm -hmm. across the content channels. So Roe was certainly like a culmination of like what we wanted to do and be. Before you go on, I just want to ask you a little bit about, as a, as a director, I'm like always curious specifically about the spots and yeah. and the production. Yeah. You know, was it, was it a challenge you have? I'm just looking through here. You know, you've got like several locations, talent. Yeah. It doesn't look like an easy shoot day or an easy... Yeah. You know, an easy shoot, I'm assuming multiple days. Yeah. And in terms of what I'm getting at is in terms of budget and actually producing this commercial, you know, was it a challenge to do that on what I assume wasn't, you know, a, a Fortune 500 brand budget for, for doing a broadcast spot? Well, at least from where I'm sitting, the Fortune 500 budgets aren't that high anymore either. But um, Fair point. But this was a few years ago when budgets were a little bit higher at least, right? Yeah. Was it a lot of beg, borrow, and steal? Or did you guys have a, a way of funding the production for this that kind of folded into the strategy of equity and, and all that? Or Well, we had, we had some cash. It wasn't like Dollar Shave Club, like we're shooting this thing you know, in our own warehouse with our own camera kind of thing. Yeah. It was a proper production, Yeah, it's... but we went scrappy. It was mm -hmm. Mike Bernstein is the director's name. He's awesome. And he had a lot of experience on SNL. Okay. So he did a lot of like the digital shorts. Yeah. And he had done a lot of kind of commercials on SNL. And that was the vibe that we wanted. Mm -hmm. So we were able to reach out to him. We did it non-union. I think the budget was $200,000. Mm -hmm. So we got a lot out of it mm -hmm. for what that budget was. Yeah. And... I think it, I, if it wasn't a two-day shoot, it was like one of those 18-hour day things. <laughs> yeah. And we had three or four locations, you know, five or six talent. And we were kind of writing on the fly, you know, mm -hmm. try this, try that. That kind of, a, you know, that kind of scrappy like comedy shoot. And I just thought, I thought we had a really strong script, script going into it. Mike, obviously coming from the world of SNL and his, his super talented guy was able to bring it to life. And then honestly, these days where we've evolved to is now Circus Maximus. We do almost all of our own productions now. Oh, really? Yeah. Tell me about that. So Carrie Kite, who's our head of production. Uh -huh. And this is where the world has evolved away from the advertising model and into something much more like almost an entertainment model yeah. or a content model mm -hmm. where what we started to see was like, we can do this ourselves. Yep. You know? Mm -hmm. And guys like you are like, we can call you up and be like, you want to do this? And you're like, yeah. Right, right. And we can get your day rate and you can kind of put your head on our body. Mm -hmm. And uh, it ends up being like, because all we really want to do is make cool stuff, right? Yeah, that's what everyone wants to do, right? I mean. It's in the world of production. That's the name. It's like, is it good? Because if it's not good, it doesn't matter. Because yeah. most of us don't have the media budgets to throw behind something that's boring to have enough impressions to have it work. True, You know, very true. There is that inverse relationship between like watchability and and budget to actually, you know, make a make a return on investment for the production, right? Yeah. Yeah. The better it is, the less you have to invest, you know. With that in mind, it was like the creative was good. Yeah. Mike wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. So we found a way. Yeah. Otherwise, it's like, you know how it works. It's like creative people, you're like, so a, a director told me a long time ago. 
some for the meal and some for the real. <laughs> yep. And we all know which one it is. Right. Right. When did you guys switch to the, the kind of in-house production model? It was gradual. I mean, we're still kind of in that space. Yeah. But we, we launched a thing called, well, soft launch of our production uh, company called Lightning Content. Oh, okay. So we do a lot of photo shoots. So it started with Jet.com. Mm-hmm. We, did a, we did a commercial kind of production for Jet.com featuring a guy named Kumail Nanjiani. is about five or six years ago. He's now gone on to tremendous success. We picked him because he was in a TV show called Silicon Valley that was very relevant to like the Jet.com story. Now he's got like a 12-pack of abs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, right? he's gone full <laughs> he's Hollywood. Like, he's total superhero now. Superhero, yeah. He's a great talent. I love him. And he's funny. He's so funny. Yeah, um, he is. And he was cool. So we shot with him and we were doing it internally as Circus Maximus. And we've kind of refined that model. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that you know, as, as like the world of creative and even production and, and directors like yourself, kind of our, 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 our hired guns, it's like we can, we can bring on a, a great director like you, again, and kind of work together, or we can do it ourselves because there's a lot of people that just want to make content. Yep. And so we do a lot of photo shoots, a lot of motion graphic, and a lot of film. And it's it sort of snowballed. Do you do you ever have have a a client who's like, uh, actually, we really want to go to one of the production companies for this one. We love you guys. We want you for your creative, but we want to go with a bigger production company. Yeah. So we work with P and G. Uh huh. Of course, we're going to throw our hat in the ring because we we're so confident in what we can do and like our our creative we hold up and it's won awards and all that stuff. But we also have to give. You know, P&G, as an example, their procurement process is we need to triple bid this or whatever. And um, sometimes we're involved in that or sometimes it's straight to uh, vendors. Our advantage is we can do it. We can do it more cost effectively. Yep. You know, yep. anytime you're passing through getting other businesses involved, there's you're paying for overhead. Sometimes you're paying for over, overhead multiple times. And that's where we started to see it's like, well, what they need is the content, mm-hmm. you know? So if we can crack the model on how we deliver this great content in a cost-effective way, that's valuable for clients. So, but yeah, sometimes we're just overseeing, you know? There's also stuff that it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to go rent a helicopter or, or like, you know, if there's some like large-scale production, it's like, eh, you know, maybe that's one that we are going to leverage yeah. smuggler, yeah, you know, or whoever. Right. So I'm dropping a lot of names in this conversation. Hey, I, I don't know if that's legal. Okay, okay. I don't. We don't have a relationship with smugglers. <laughs> They're uh, great. To drop that, that's the fun of a podcast. I mean, if you're making it this deep in, I don't think any any like legal person from, <laughs> from some company is going to be listening this far into a podcast. Yeah, just try and see if we dropped a name or not. Yeah, and if they do, uh, hey, please don't contact us. <laughs> yeah. Um. So. I was just going to ask you about, so the times that, you know, a client doesn't use you guys for production, yeah. is it more, is it more just a larger scale? Is it more just that they have a relationship Yeah, sometimes with another production company or is there another reason? Yeah, there's clients out there that have approved vendor relationships with existing partners. Right. The approved vendor relationship. Yes. Right. So it's like, yes, that yeah, term. Okay. Well, yep. you know, we're going to go with your approved vendor list, mm-hmm. you know, so- yeah. Do you guys see the the production side of your business becoming a bigger part? I think certainly. I mean, because content is so, va- you know, it's, it's just, you need so much of it. Yep. For so many different, from like, and I'm not just talking about TV commercials. It's like, oh, we're, you know, we're at the, uh, the pharmaceutical expo at the Javits Center and we've got a 35 foot screen and we want something running on that. You know, it's, it. There's so much need for for content across the board, in addition to your like, you know, your the communications channels that we all think of. Mm-hmm. Plus, I think the the relationship between content and media and creative is is so fluid that we felt like we needed to be have that control in, in, in creating it. Mm-hmm. So what if you were to start your agency today? Yeah. Circus Maximus, you're starting it today yeah. instead of back in 2013. Yeah. Would you do anything differently? I would raise $100 million. 
Uh, no, I'd raise $25 million. Okay. Realistically. And I would go hard. Realistically. Yeah. 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 So how would you do that? Yeah. How would you go out and raise 25 mil? I would put together a team and I would say, I would think about the partners that I was including in the business. Mm -hmm. And I would say, okay, here's the operations guy. Here's the performance person. Here's the creative. The value that we add to brands is identifying your narrative, creating the content and, and, and streamlining operations wherever possible. I think about this a lot because it's kind of what we're doing mm -hmm. without the huge investment. I would say, I ain't going to need $25,000. We're going to acquire brands mm -hmm. and we're going to take them over because we feel like we have a strong leadership team here that can run and manage these brands. And we're going to focus on a particular niche so that the, uh, the portfolio of brands that we create is additive to one another. So you're going to have like Venn diagram overlap that are all sitting around a particular target. Mm -hmm. And we're going to go hard at that niche and we're going to create an ecosystem of brands that's going to look like the wonderful company. Do you know the wonderful company? I don't actually. Palm Wonderful, oh, pistachios. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. Vertically integrated. Yep. At the heart of that business sits a marketing arm um, that does all of the advertising and marketing for the brands that they create, but they own everything from almond groves to cameras. Gotcha. Uh, fully vertically integrated. So you would use the $25 million mainly to acquire- Build staff. To for staffing and then to, to acquire other to small, smaller companies yeah. within a vertical. I would say I'm going to, the way that I'm going to use this money is I'm going to create a, a marketing services MVP, which would look an awful lot like Circus Maximus. I'm going to acquire a handful of these brands and capture the, the portfolio of revenue. And then I'm going to spend the money against media. The, the remaining cash is going to be spent towards building revenue of those companies. And in that way, I can buy five or 10 companies at, let's say they're doing between three and $10 million of revenue each. Some are gonna succeed, some are gonna fail, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna create this portfolio. And for $25 million, I'm going to create a portfolio of brands worth 100 million in revenue. Who's in? Gotcha. I like it. Why, why is it about acquiring brands if you were to start today instead of just strictly advertising? Why is that the strategical pivot? I think it's just an interest thing. I think it's like, I'm, you know, I started my agency because I was interested in starting and running a business. And I thought that's kind of my personal interest. And the idea, I think the, I think the industry of just coming up with creative ideas and renting them to other people is over. It's over. Uh, you want to have ownership over the creative ideas. They have value. And we've been giving them away or renting them and for a long time, like the value exchange was good. And I think it's no longer good. I think it's a, it's a, it's not a great, it's not a great marketplace. If you have a really valuable idea, you should, you should realize that value. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. That makes sense. So you, you want to see the upside of, of the creative idea on the impact that, that it has in the business itself. Yeah. And it's like, it's not easy. I mean, I think the one thing, you know, we've learned and, you know, I talked about this earlier, like, Taking an idea, like a really, even a really great idea from a page to a functioning business is pretty hard. Sure. So it's not to, I don't want, I don't want to sound glib or anything like that because I know how, how challenging it can be and even really good ideas fail. So there is value in, 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 in clients that have and are operating successful businesses need to be applauded because that's really, really hard. Mm-hmm. But I think in terms of like where I sit in the process, that's the way I see it for, for me. Mm -hmm. So I think anyone who's list, who's, who works in advertising and just heard you say that you think that the, that the, the idea of coming up, or the, the business of coming up with ideas and, and selling them, that, that that is over. I think that might, might put a little fear into people who might be listening, who work in advertising. No, man. I, and I'll tell you why, because every creative that we've ever freelanced probably had a job at a big agency and a side hustle mm -hmm. already. It's already, you're already only, you're really only renting your creative's time already. Mm -hmm. They're working on something else. Mm -hmm. They're either doing a podcast <laughs> or launching a brand of their own, or, you know, they have a photo thing that they're doing or, you know, they've got a startup that they want to try. Uh, there's a gal named Jacqueline DeJesu. She started a brand called Shower Cap. 
she was an advertising creative. She built a br- she built a brand in a space that no one saw. Fantastic story, but that's one of you know a million stories of people that are doing that. I think pe- I think creative people are realizing their own potential and that they don't necessarily have to go through the channel of advertising to like monetize it or to make a living. So what do you think, where do you think advertising, the advertising industry is going in the next few years? Let's say three years. I think it's just shaking itself out. Like Toyota is always going to need IPG because Toyota operates in the entire globe and they are, they are going to, they're never going to be able to internalize creative services at that scale. So there's always going to, I think there's going to be, I think it's going to be about figuring out what part of the market you serve. So there, you know, the idea of like, oh, it's dead. It's, I said, it's over. Uh, Part of it's over. You know, I think it's about identifying that niche that you serve and the business kind of shakes itself out that way. So at every like stage size thing, Mm -hmm. there will be some version of a creative services company. And what about what's happening with, you know, I mean, it's been happening for for a while now, but of agencies, of larger agencies doing what you've done and taking production in-house and of production companies becoming creative agencies and kind of every, it seems like, it seems like from both ends, from, from the bottom and the top, that everyone's kind of coming towards the middle around a business model of, compounding creativity and production in a way. Well, and I think media, I mean, from where I see, it's like the people that are so interesting are the, are the folks that are like analyzing Amazon marketplace and saying like, I've gone over 200 categories. Here are five that I identified as an opportunity for a brand. We should build a brand there. And they're analyzing that through kind of like SEO. Mm-hmm identifying cost-effective markets, which they can enter and dominate, and then building a brand. And so it's almost the reverse. So that's kind of a a media-centric approach that I think is really cool. Content and creative, I think you're right, are also, but you know, you're a guy, it's like, you've got creative ideas. Who's to say they're better than mine? Like, I think the idea that I get to sit around and like come up with ideas and they're the best. And then I don't do shit after that. That's what I mean is like that, ugh, maybe. I mean, there's probably a role for that. But like, I think you have to add action to the idea. Mm-hmm. And that's what the the marriage of creative and production is. It's like, I'm not just coming up with it. We're going to go do it, mm-hmm. you know. Let's talk a little bit more about Circus Maximus and where you guys are now. So how many, how many employees do you guys have? We're about 15. 15, and you are... And you were telling me just offline before we we started recording here that you are fully remote. You guys are yeah. You have you have employees all around the world, right? Uh, yeah, we do. I mean, if you if you include our sort of regularly contributing freelancers, we're probably 25, 30 people. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm I'm trying to make a more concerted effort towards getting to our our sort of MVP of like you know is that twenty people perfect perf- perfecting our sort of mix to deliver our product. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I think, you know, we have folks in the UK, we have folks in uh, South America that we sometimes leverage for things like product development and stuff like that. But we're, we're pretty much, our full-time employees are, are pretty much based in the US at this stage. Okay. What's it like to kind of create or maintain a company culture when, you know, people are, there's no big office hub to convene at every day. And I know that everybody's been going through this with, with the pandemic, but, you know, I think particularly with, with a small agency, it's probably even a little bit more unique. Yeah. What's that been like? And well, I mean, again, hopefully it's, it's about, it comes back to, it's my job to kind of create the vision and the narrative of what, what we do at Circus Maximus and what we stand for, make that clear make it true, make it actionable, and then find people that want to do that. That's culture. Like the culture is not a building on Madison Avenue. I've been inside agencies that had big offices and had no culture. So it has nothing to do with the the bricks and mortar. Mm -hmm. It has only to do with the mission of the agency and the values of the people that work there and the product that we we create. Still hard. I mean, I struggle, you know, uh, especially because the world is evolving so quickly and it's like, you know, how do we continue to do that and, and, and set that tone and, and set that story. 
you know, it's, it's a lot is easier said than done. Because at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, you still need new clients. You still have to, it's a kind of a living, breathing thing that you have to feed in. But we do it where like, I, unfortunately today, for example, we have an internal thing that we do every, every week. Uh, excuse me, this is once a month, but it's like the inspo get down. Mm-hmm. And it's literally just us meeting on a Zoom, talking about stuff we've seen in the world of entertainment, advertising culture that we think is really inspiring. It's probably something we should share with clients and stuff like that. But last week we did our friends giving. So we rented a space in New York where we all did kind of a potluck thing. And and we have kind of a, a regular-ish calendar of events where we'll get in person. We still do productions live together. So there's a kind of a combination of in-person events or digital meetings where it's really just about hanging out, talking, saying what you know we're seeing in the world talking about Ted Lasso, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to ask you about, you know, you're responsible for, you know, as a CCO, you were responsible for a big creative team, mm-hmm. but especially at your own agency, yeah. I want to ask about about the hiring process, what that's like. Yeah. You guys just made, made the news recently with new hirings, including your first ECD, mm-hmm. Megan Cermak, if I'm pronouncing that right. Megan Cermak. Yes. Yeah. So what, tell us a little bit about like about the hiring process at Circus Maximus and yeah. and what you look for in candidates. Yeah. Man, it's been a moving target. Not, a, you know, I think a lot of people are dealing with, you know, the great resignation and stuff like that. But again, kind of coming back to like the narrative and what, what are the projects that we want? What are the verticals that we operate in? I think has helped us as we've clarified that to figure out who are the kinds of folks that we need as I'm trying to get towards that MVP, because our goal is not to just grow exponentially year over year and like add shit on. I would like a much more kind of Navy SEALs, like we are a tight team of, you know, X number of people and we take this many projects a year and this is what we're excellent at. If it's not that. And with that in mind, we've been trying to like identify and fill some needs. So we brought in Alberto Quintero as our ECD on the visual side. And he comes to us from the world of fashion. So he worked with Jay-Z. He worked at Rock Nation. Really has kind of a, a cultural, uh, zeitgeisty, streetwear, fashion approach. And really kind of understands narrative from a visual standpoint. So we're excited to have him. And I think that's super helpful for us um, in helping craft brands on the visual side. What was the process like for, for finding him? For example, like, did you guys have a relationship already? Did you know of him? Did he know of you? No, we freelanced him. So we did a project for a, a, a finance uh, company targeted towards Gen Z called Current. Mm-hmm. They're a mobile bank. And it was very much about like, how do we recognize and reflect and tell a story to um, Gen Z about culture in their life? And his background was great. And then the more we talked, the more it was like we clicked. And so we started with him with a freelance project and then we, we brought him in full time to help kind of, you know, shore up the, the sort of the creative department in that way. Do you have any, any tips for people out there who maybe are going through the great resignation or maybe are early in their careers, have a first, a first job interview or, you know, first or second job interview and any tips for people in the, the interview process? I need tips. If you got tips for me. Okay, no tips. All right. No <laughs> I tips. don't have any tips. I, you know, it's funny, Ryan. I like the, for, the way that, that we got connected, I was thinking back on it. I think I'd emailed you randomly, Yeah. you know, as like a, as in our, a commercial artist, you have to like put your work out there and make connections and all that. And I think I like randomly, I think I sent you like an email promo and you like, <laughs> you emailed me back and you emailed me like, fuck yeah, I love this. Let's talk. <laughs> Something like that. That sounds like me. And I've never heard, I've never heard uh, somebody so so casual <laughs> in their first time emailing me with, but I, lo- I was like, wow, this guy is like, first of all, that's hilarious that you just said that. <laughs> and he was just, and you're just like, yeah, let's just, let's do it. Let's, let's meet up. Let's, let's like uh, see if we can work together on something. And we still have to make something happen. I, so what's funny is that like, that's how we get all of our people. So like very early days, started Circus Maximus, threw it out into the world, needed an art director, a guy named Matt Evans, who lives in the UK, art director, reached out and was like, 
Sounds cool. Would love to participate. Looked at his book. He's terrific. He worked with us for two years. We needed someone to help us with content strategy. You know, as the world of like social media and all that stuff was becoming such an obvious need. LinkedIn, who knows how to do this stuff? A woman reached out to us. Her name is Ashley Richardson George. She is now our chief content officer. And it was literally like, yeah, I know how to do this. <laughs> so it's a it's it's been super casual. And and that's kind of like the yeah, that's the um the asking for help, being specific about what you need, and then the ambition of people. That's worked well for us. And I think there's like a Steve Jobs quote where he was like 12 years old and he wrote a letter to either Hewlett or Packard. I don't know which one it was. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, that's what you do. That's the advice is like, go get the thing you want. Yep. Whether it's Gary Vaynerchuk or Richard Branson, yeah, you can talk to him. You can just text him. Yeah, I remember I emailed um, Mark Cuban mm-hmm. and Mark Cuban got back to me in like 20 minutes. Yeah. It was weird. <laughs> so you can just kind of do that now. Yeah. So I would say the the only tip is like be ambitious and, and go for what you want. And on the other side, ask for what you need. Mm-hmm. One last question. And this actually came, do you know Fishbowl? That's that's a no. No. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, I posted a, I was like, I'm gonna meet with a, a founder of an agency. Any questions? And um, so this is a this is a uh, oh. a submitted question. Okay. Have you been able to achieve the reasons why you created Circus Maximus? Some yes, some no. What are the yeses? <laughs> the yeses are, the yeses are, okay, I'm going off into the wilderness alone, you know, to figure something out. And that was the business. Another yes is like sort of identifying interesting, fast-growing startup opportunities, both independently and those that look like that within Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies. Another yes is like specializing in what we really love to do, which is craft brand narrative and build content, uh, making interesting things. Another yes is I said, we're going to be one of the best agencies on the planet. We are. I don't care what size we are, but our work's going to be the best. So we've, we've, we've been able to get into that conversation, at least in terms of small agencies and stuff like that and, mm-hmm. and the work that we do. Another yes was I'm going to rewrite the rules of how agencies interact with brands. I want to capture value when we create relationships with brands. We've been able to do that with Roman. We've been able to do that with Rapport. We've been able to do that with a brand called Fabric. We've been able to do that with a brand that we're launching. We're launching internal brands. Ooh, exciting. Yeah, I'm excited. There'll have to be a part two to this, Ryan. I'll, I'll just, I'll give you a hint. What I have here represents the first product run for the brand we are launching that I'm pretty excited about. And I'm not going to say too terribly much, but I will say, I don't know if you're even doing this visually, but you can see there's a little W. Uh-huh. And this is a hint as to what category we're in. Ooh, I see very cool looking shades that uh, perfectly complete your outfit, actually, with the, the cowboy hat. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this guy? He's wearing a costume. <laughs> so those are all yeses. I think no's are like, Refining the narrative from a client standpoint, really refining that so that we're filtering. I see agencies like a friend of mine, Omid Farhang, just launched an agency called Majority in Atlanta. Uh-huh. Amazing. I've heard of that, yeah. Amazing. They're doing great work already, but they're also, their story is tight and it's a true reflection. I've known him a long time. It's like, yes, that's that's the agency for you. Uh-huh. A friend in Chattanooga has an agency called Humanot. They're a killer agents. Oh, I know them. I know them well, actually, yeah. Yeah, they're awesome. So those guys have inspired me to kind of refine my story and do a better job of telling the world why they should or maybe should not work with Circus Maximus. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, and then some of the stuff on the business side that I think we can, I could, I, I've probably, you know, probably shouldn't have dropped out of that business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's still opportunities for improvement. Well, you seem to have done very well. Well, thank you. There's so much great work on your website. Definitely encourage people to check it out, circusmaximus.com. Is there anywhere else that people should find or follow you? You know, you can you can find us on LinkedIn. Yeah. We're trying to amp up our content. That would be another opportunity. All right. That's it. Thank you so much for having me. I hope it was I hope I was a decent guest. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you again to Ryan Kutcher for joining us on the podcast. 
Again, you can check out more about Ryan's agency on his company's website, circusmaximus.com. I'm your host, Zach Seckler, and you can check out my comedy directing and photography work at zachseckler.com. A new episode will be out in two weeks. Thanks for listening, everyone. And until next time, don't skip those good ads.